0: It's Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. Welcome to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, it's been a week in this world like no other and that we've been around, and tonight we're going to take a one-hour break from the world and talk nothing but sports.
1: Yeah, a much-needed break, Bill. But at the same time, we do want to say that we hope all of our listeners and viewers are safe. As everyone knows, there have been protests that have turned violent, and, you know, there's been vandalism and looting and whatnot, not just in the big cities, but even in the smaller towns and some of the suburban areas. So, I mean, the orderly protests are fine, of course, but hopefully all the other stuff, the vandalism and the destruction, ends real soon. You know, between the pandemic and now all of this and the lack of live sports, this has not just been a week, unlike any other bill. It's been a three month period, unlike a, any other.
0: Well, that's all the talk we're going to have of that. We're done. Let's move on. <laughs> <All up. right. laughs> Let's talk a lot of baseball tonight with uh, with our guest, Ray Fossey. He's going to be joining us. And we had a chance, or you had a chance, to watch the 82 83 Sixers replay uh, with Doc Moses and that bunch. So we'll talk some about that. And we'll be talking the Willie Holiday documentary as well. And, uh, That that was kind of an interesting show for sure. But before we get to that, let's welcome back our friends at the Irish Rover Station House. Jet, they're back in business.
1: Yeah, so happy for the gang over at the Irish Rover in Langhorne. I exchanged text messages the other day with our friend Christina, and she and Tracy are very busy as we speak, getting ready for the reopening. They'll have takeout food again starting tomorrow, Thursday. And then on Friday, the outside patio opens daily uh, from 3 to 9 p.m., I believe. They'll be open on Friday and then every, you know, for the next several weeks, 3 to 9 p.m. It'll only be outdoor dining for the immediate future. Uh, but I have a feeling, you know, weather permitting, they'll have a nice crowd there this Friday through Sunday, likely with an appearance by a certain Philly Press Box radio co-host.
0: <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, I hope so. Well, hey, with that, uh, we're certainly glad that the Irish Rover is back open. We appreciate it. We're going to get out there and see him. But with that, let's welcome back Ray Fossey to Philly Press Box radio. Ray was just here with us uh, like June 1st. He's back. And uh, hopefully we can talk more baseball.
2: Guys, I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, Ray. Hey, Ray. By the way,
2: before we get started, now I I know we've got the Zoom this time, and I played in an era where in 72, if you remember, it was the hairs versus the squares. The (laughs) A's, long hair versus the reds who couldn't grow long hair. Well, I've been three months without a haircut. I'm starting to get the feeling that I'm playing back in my 70s again with the A's, because I can't, matter of fact, someone said yesterday that the uh, percentage of like 54% of people, once they're allowed to get out, they'll go straight to the barbershop. I will be one of the 54%.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They're not open yet here in New Jersey. So I've been kind of taking care of it myself, but uh, hopefully they're going to be open later this month and I can't wait. Uh, So yeah, Ray, you were here April 1st and we were talking about the possibility of baseball getting back. It's not back yet. And you know, I got to be honest. I'm not feeling optimistic right now. I'm sure you're following the situation closely. I hope I'm wrong, but it sounds like the players and owners are still very far apart. And I don't know about this 2020 season. Give me some reason for optimism, Ray.
2: Well, I would say this, there are 40 million people filed for unemployment. That's if that's not incentive enough to get baseball back and forget about, I mean, I have been on both sides. I was a player representative in 1972. the cleveland indians i had to raise my hand to go on strike with not one penny in the bank and my minimum when i came up was seven thousand dollars because of marvin miller uh things changed and basically it's now what five hundred sixty-three thousand dollars for a minimum salary player so you know if if you're one of the 40 million people who filed for unemployment and you're looking at players who can't agree with the owners owners with the players i'm sorry i cannot see I mean, 1994 was bad. (laughs) 2020, if there's no baseball, it will be the worst scenario that I think that we will ever experience in Major League Baseball. I think it would take a long time to come back. And I think Chipper Jones and John Smoltz, maybe with the the Atlanta Braves said, if the players today don't look at 94 and realize what happened when the strike occurred and there was no World Series, I was devastated. I was broadcasting at the time. So my optimism is that These two sides, and I'm not saying one side or the other is wrong. I'm just simply saying that they need to get together and have baseball, do the three months, play the postseason, and pray that next year we can resume to normal and we can get back. If nothing else, sign a contract, sign something that says this is an aberration. This is something that that we're going to go through and that everything will resume. Because let's not forget that in December of 21, the collective bargaining agreement expires. And there's not been a work stoppage since 1994. So let's hope that something happens this year, that there's baseball, because going forward, I think there's going to be some difficult times. Who knows what's going to happen, but I'm optimistic that something is going to happen, that they're going to step up and say, we're going to, we're going, we're all going to lose money. Everybody's going to lose money. Let's all lose it together and play baseball.
0: Hey Ray, I have to ask you though, as an ex player, you, you've been in these, in these shoes kind of, uh, is it fair to ask a player to take a sliding scale type pay cut that I, that I saw? And, and what's the guarantee to a pitcher that's a I don't know, $10 million pitcher that's going to now get $2 million and he blows out his elbow and that's $8 million he never sees? Is it fair to ask the players to put themselves in that position? It's tough.
2: It is tough. And, 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 you know, but on the other hand, let's look at the owners, the owners are saying they're going to lose money, whether they play or not. And, you know, they have to have the facilities to play. And if the owners were to say, hypothetically, we're not going to play this year, then that means, uh, look at it this way, 1978, I blew out my knee. I missed the whole season. So I played in October of 77 or September of 77. Uh, and then I did not play again till spring training of 1979. That's a long time. And that's what the players, even though they had an abbreviated spring training, that's what they will be experiencing now if they don't play. That is a long time. You, you're going to have free agents, like, for example, Mookie Betts. He got traded to the Dodgers. If he doesn't play, does he does he test the free agent market? Because if you're an owner, and if the owners aren't making any money, how are they going to pay money to a free agent? We The A's have Marcus Simeon, who's in his, his final year, he's also. Now the players, from what I understand, they wanted the service time. So they get the extra year based on where you were, I guess, in 2018 or 2019, um, as far as the service time. Now, while that is great for arbitration and free agency, I still think that if there's not some way that the owners can make money, and the most important thing would be television revenue, because fans aren't allowed in the stands, and especially postseason, where the bulk of their money comes from postseason and the networks, if they don't get that revenue, who's to say that? come to free agency and arbitration it's going to be tough and look at look at the draft only 5 rounds of draft you guys are seeing how many players are withdrawing themselves from the draft because they're going to get another year of eligibility which is going to complicate the college baseball system because mm-hmm. you got all these returning seniors or juniors at four-year school or junior college they're going to say wait a minute I'm not going to go in the draft because if they only have 5 rounds and the, the diminishing scale on the on the signing bonuses etc i'll go back to school and then so you have more and, and even more so than that if there's no minor league baseball where are the players going to go who are drafted next week so i mean there's there's a huge huge complication with everything but you know again i'm not saying one side or the other i'm just giving my views on both sides having been on both sides and i i just know that if the owners, and you know, they've never opened their books, and if any business person in the world was told, you have to open your books, why would they? You know, I mean, seriously, if because I, I can't say, I think Jerry Reinsdorf owns the Bulls and the White Sox, and those are his businesses. Every other seems to have another business that they're involved in. So it, it's it, it's kind of a mixed bag if you're kind of asking to open books, but You know, there there are a lot of expenses that go on in in running a ball club, uh, the minor league system, the stadium, the travel, all the things that go into that. Whereas the players, again, when I played, I knew that I got my salary. I knew that they paid for my flight. They paid for my hotel room. They paid for a place to play. And that was it. That's all my responsibility. I got my money. And and that was it. So, you know, again, both sides have a lot to lose. And I agree with you that, yes, it would be tough. But look on uh, this case with Garrett Cole. He's scheduled to make $34 million this year. He's not going to make that because of what's happened. But let's say there's no baseball. He won't get $34 million back. And I don't care how many millions you have. When you're losing $34 million, that's a lot of money.
1: Sure. And speaking of free agents, the Phillies have maybe the best catcher in baseball, and JT yeah. Real Muto is going to be a free agent after this right. season. They certainly want to retain him. But you know what? Let's get away from all that and talk about some of the fun stuff, Ray. Good. As Bill mentioned, we had a real great response when you were here the last time in early April. People loved hearing the old baseball stories, and I know you have many more One thing we didn't get to last time was Charlie Finley. Do you have any particular memories of Charlie Owen? Did you get along with the mule mascot in the early (laughs) seventies? We don't
2: have enough time for me to talk about Charlie (laughs) as much as, but, but Charlie, Charlie was very innovative. If you look at the multicolored uniforms, I know I played at the time. We had road grays and home whites. I get traded to the Oakland A's. We had six different combinations of colors, (laughs) you know, the white shoes. And now you see that at one time, You had to have 50% of your color as your shoe color. Now they're saying, white open, let's go. Now you're seeing a lot of players wearing white shoes. And there are a lot of players who enjoy coming to the Oakland A's to wear the white shoes. But I I remember when my wife, Carol, and I were driving around Tucson in 1973. It is an off day. If I had not gone back to our apartment and John Lowenstein had told me to go see Phil Seggy at Tucson, the high Corbett Field, I would have found out that I was traded. By the radio. I would have been driving around because Charlie said, I don't care about letting anybody know. Let's just make the trade. Monty Moore tells the story that he's broadcasting and Charlie will call him and say, a trade's been made, make the announcement. And the guys in the bullpen would listen on radio and they would know about this trade and the guys are out there playing. But the one thing about Charlie, he was hands-on when we lost catfish Hunter after the 1974 season, Charlie Finley called me and said, Ray, I know that when you were acquired, we talked about defense and pitching. He said, losing catfish, we have to go to offense and speed. Joe Rudy, who was playing left field, went to first. Gene Tennis went behind the plate. Claudel Washington was left field. Ray Fossey went to the bullpen. And I didn't play because it was a different scenario. But the one thing I appreciated from Charlie was simply the fact that he actually called me and let me know what he was doing. I mean, let's not forget, he lived in Chicago. He had a skeleton crew, three people. And Carolyn Kaufman was the secretary. He had Norm Kosalki and the traveling secretary. And that was it. And the, when the Haas family bought the ball club in the winter of 1980, Wally Haas Jr. went to the stadium and he figured, oh, I get this major corporation. You know, he sees a sign that says dial zero for, for assistance. And that was it. And Charlie was using three world championship trophies as bookends, you know, for, he said, take them, I don't care. But, you know, he he was, he would never believed in arbitration because he felt it was going to be the death of baseball, which we know what happens once a player is eligible for arbitration. And with free agency, Charlie wanted to make everybody a free agent after every year, cut down on the supply and the demand. If you Mm. think about that, very, very smart of Charlie Finley, it was Marvin Miller who said, Charlie, that's a great idea, but it's unfair to the organization to develop a player. You you draft him, you develop him, he gets the big leagues for one year as a free agent. What Marvin knew, he wanted the supply and demand. And it took, he said, let's go for six years. So that's what we have right now in free agency of six years. It may change with what's happening with some of the analytics and things like that. But right now it's six years as a result of what Marvin Miller and Charlie Finley basically came to an agreement.
0: Wait, wow. well, Ray, you were part of the, uh, the A's organization during the, uh, the bash brother, Mark McGuire, Jose, can yeah. era. that, uh, obviously changed baseball and uh, changed baseball as we know it and affected an awful lot of guys. Uh, What was it like in the organization at that time? Was it, was it pretty well known what was going on and, uh, but it was somewhat legal, so it was okay. And then it all just blew up. Well,
2: I'm glad you, you you did that because I didn't know initially what you were talking about. (laughs) All I know guys is that I broadcast for Mark McGuire's 363 home runs, I never left the booth once mm-hmm. because I felt sometime he's going to make contact with a 95, 96 mile arm fastball. He's going to put that massive swing the ball is going to carry. And it happened in Seattle against the Mariners. Randy Johnson on the mound. Randy threw one of those upper 90s fastball. Mac made the connection. And if it had not been a dome stadium, I swear the ball's still traveling the earth someplace because he crushed it. And it, this was a time before exit velocities and all that. And look on on the board, and it said 110 miles per hour. Whoa, he threw it 110? No, it left the bat at 110. That's how much it did. But those two guys, and, you know, there was a recent article in uh, the Bay Area newspapers about the batting practice. That was the most impressive thing. It started in spring training. I can't remember the exact year at the uh, Phoenix Municipal Stadium. Van Buren Street is beyond left field. They started a batting practice that was batting practice. I mean, you had everybody showing up early just to watch McGuire and Conseco take batting practice. You go into the season, and I remember specifically in Baltimore, the Orioles had finished hitting. The A's started their batting practice. All the Orioles were in the dugout watching Mark McGuire and Conseco take batting practice because they were hitting balls that those players had never seen hit mm-hmm. before. But it was it was at a time that they, you know, Canseco hit a ball in the fifth deck at uh, Skydome in Toronto. And he came back to the dugout and he said, I didn't get it all. Well, fifth deck at Sky Dome is some place that only a few players have ever hit the ball. Not many have gone there. So it was a lot of fun. You know, it's just sad that all the things have come out about those two players and the team, especially because they were a talented ball club, especially in 1989. Remember, they lost in 88 to the Dodgers in five games. But I remember specifically after game five that all the players are saying, yeah, we lost, but it's no big deal. We're going to come back next year. And they did, and they swept the Giants in four games and unfortunately were swept by the Reds in the 1990 season. But it was a great combination of pitching defense. kind of reminding me of the teams that I played on in the 70s because they had the pitching, the defense, the bullpen, hitting. I mean, scored enough runs just to win ball games. But when they did, they did their mashing. But uh, it wasn't like Dave Stewart and Mike Moore and Storm Davis – and, uh, and Bob Wells didn't do their job on the on the field pitching. And, of course, Dennis are coming in out of the bullpen.
0: Bill, you want to take our break now? or you want to squeeze in another question or what? Yeah, no, let's go ahead. And uh, since we have a spot, let's take a look for insurance in the tri-state area. Jet, we got the spot for you. All-state insurance in Westchester, PA.
1: Yes, we do. And one of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs. Someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania at 610-430-0700. Again, the number is 610-430-0700. And Bill, we do need some appropriate transition music right here. I'm talking baseball, like
2: Reggie, Grease, and Barry talking baseball. Carew and Gaylord Perry, garbage Schmidt, and of Blue.
1: Some, some good names right there and we talked about right. the bash brothers but i want to ask you ray about a little later on the Moneyball era uh yeah. despite slashing payroll the a's of course made the postseason four straight years 2000 to 2003 they had that 20 game winning streak one of those years you were there as a broadcaster of course pretty amazing what that team accomplished with not a lot of high-paid players
2: you, you know you're right, of course they made a movie out of it and it yeah. took a, a second group of people including Brad Pitt and uh, for it to be successful. but uh, it, it was it was a good movie and I remember asking Billy Bean after the movie, the premiere we saw in downtown Oakland went to a, a party I said, what do you think Billy he said oh, maybe 50 percent true you know so you know it, it was it was a good movie, but to live the 20 game win streak it, it was something and I remember a game in Detroit. the A's were down. And I said, it's over. It's over. And then all of a sudden, here they come. And it was like late in the ball game, a, a ball in the right center field, three run score. They end up winning the ball game. And I just thought at that time, I said, maybe it is something that can happen for this year. But you know, for the, the walk-offs in, in 18 and 19, uh, Miguel Tejada hitting a home run in one, and then with an infield of five infielders by the Kansas City Royals, hits a ball up the middle to win another one, and then game twenty to have an eleven to nothing lead, guys. How about that with Tim Hudson on the mound? And all of a sudden it's 11 to 11 before Scott Heddenberg hits the home run to win the yeah. ball game. But, you know, it was storybook, but it was great living it because there were times with those players uh, in the movie. David Justice, probably one of the very, very good acquisitions by the athletics. But I also think John Mabry was one Remember in the movie. It talks about, you know, give me whatever, who you want. You know, We'll, we'll take whatever we can get. They get John Mabry. He had so many huge hits the athletics during that streak and not only a great player on the field but a tremendous tremendous influence of players off the field in the clubhouse in the dugout and probably one of the guys that was instrumental in them having the type of streak that they had the unfortunate thing though guys the real unfortunate thing is to have the 20 game win streak and then to lose in five games that's the problem the A's have had getting the fifth game when they've had the opportunities and I'll fast forward to when the Indians won 22 consecutive to break the A's record and they lost in the first round. I remember talking to Ty Van Berkley, a former hitting coach with the Athletics, and now with the Cleveland Indians. I said, Bambo, I said, you know what the key to the winning consecutive games is? Don't do it because you go out in the first round. That's what the A's and the Indians both did, one winning 20, one winning 22. It was an exciting time. It's fun to watch the movie for, for many reasons but because I was doing play-by-play with Bill King during that period of time. And I, I called a lot of those early run scoring innings and I remember making the statement, Billy was driving away. If you've seen the movie, he's driving, I think the Visalia and you hear my voice on the radio saying, man, if you're not at this game watching it, you're really missing something. He makes a U-turn goes back and by the time he gets back, it's 11 to 11 saying, what am I doing? Cause Billy never liked to be at the park. He always wanted to know what the result was. And when the A's won their first division in 2000, I was doing post-game interviews and I said, Billy, uh, where were you during the final inning? He said over in Alameda walking on the beach, you know, cause he knew <laughs> that he did not want to be there and have it all. And this is a former player knowing what happens like that, but you know, exciting times, a lot of exciting times for the athletics as a player, but also as a broadcaster.
0: Well, Ray, I have to ask you, I'm going to take you back to your playing days because after we had you the last time I did a little bit of homework and uh, I looked at those all-star games that you were in and, uh, Loaded, loaded with Hall of Famers, yeah. loaded with great players, yourself included. I, I'm going to put you on the on the spot a little bit, even though you 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 just played in the American League. But can you give me the three best hitters and the three best pitchers you ever faced, or maybe even that you saw as a broadcaster? I'll go. You've got 50 years. You you've seen them all. Yeah. Well, I know that
2: I I caught some very good pitchers. I was fortunate in my career. I'll go to the uh, catching the pitchers first and foremost because. When I was at Cleveland, I caught Gaylord Perry in 1972. If you don't do some homework, look at his numbers in 72. 40 starts, 40 decisions, 24 and 16, one save, 342 innings. That's two seasons this year. Now, he had 29 complete games, a sub-two earn run average. And people, I just saw something recently about mound visits. What do you say in a mound? Visits. And I remember Gaylord Perry saying to Ken Aspermani in 72, and this is for the DH. And, you know, how do you feel, Gaylord? And he looked at the bullpen and he said, I feel better than the guy down there. I'm going to stay in the game. And that's why <laughs> That's why he pitched 342 innings. You do the math, 40 starts times nine is 360. Of course, there's 342 innings himself. But uh, then going to Oakland and being able to catch Catfish Hunter, Vita Blue, Kenny Holtzman, and John Blue Moon Odom, and to realize during that period of time, even though I caught Gaylord in 72, I had a lot of pitchers in in Oakland or in Cleveland, who were not as good as the pitchers I caught in 73. And I'll be honest to you that the fact that when we went to the the, the field, every game, we felt we had a chance to win. And you had three game winners. And I think if you'd look at your research, you'll see that that was the final year of the last year that a team had three 20 game winners on it. 71, the Orioles had four. The A's had three and 73.
0: Get back on uh, to the Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco conversation just a little bit and, uh, I don't like to use the word steroid era. It's a, it, it bothers me to be called that. But because those guys, the Barry Bonses and Alex Rodriguez's and those guys were great players before whatever happened, happened. Uh, what's your position as far as those guys being Hall of Famers? And uh, that is it tarnished? Should they, But should they get in? And how can some get in and some not? What, what's your thoughts? Well, my simple answer is this. There's a guy who played
2: for the Phillies and played for the Cincinnati Reds who's been banned from baseball and people ask me about him, I simply say, I don't have a vote. And I have to be honest and say, I don't have a vote guys. So, you know, it did happen. What happened? And it changed the game. Uh, you know, you can look back in the history of the great game of baseball. There've been different eras. Uh, that was a period of time, but uh, you know, the one thing that I, I remember reading the off season, as you guys very astute and your knowledge of the game, when it happened about the Astros in 2017, I remember reading a couple of times where a pitcher said I would rather face a player who was taking PEDs versus a player who knows what I'm throwing. So that to me says a lot about what it does. Sure, it makes maybe it makes you feel stronger. Obviously, maybe you are stronger, but you have to have the hand-eye coordination. See, hitting is the hardest thing ever to do in baseball. You take a round bat with a round baseball, hit it squarely. How stupid is that if you think about doing that and, and plus baseball is a game of failure if you make seven outs out of 10 that means you get three hits you're a superstar hitting 300 how many professions would you like to have a doctor said my my average is 300 uh you know i failed seven times uh oh by the way you know no i don't want you doc you know i'm sorry i mean i'm just using that profession but but the bottom line it, it's a tough game to play But it is a game of failure. And so whatever players are doing to try to enhance themselves or as a team, you know, it's not right. And, you know, you know, players and and teams have done it over the course of baseball. If they get caught, shame on them. But I think when you're when you're doing things, the technology, I think, has come on strongly to enhance what the Astros. And I won't say supposedly did was proven they did do because I was broadcasting games for the A's during that season. I remember saying on air, geez, it's like these guys know what's coming. Well, <laughs> evidently they did, you know, and, and it makes a big difference when you're seeing guys turn on fastballs inside and hit them in the seats and left field, or you're taking a nasty slider away from you and you're hitting it in a right center for a double. If you know what's coming, I think the biggest thing is if you know what's coming, it's the pitches you don't swing at. And, and I remember when John boy did the, the video of Evan Gaddis with uh, Danny Farquhar. He threw him some great changeups. You notice that Gaddis didn't move. Well, if you throw a changeup as good as Farquhar has, your body's gonna go forward and you hope to stop your swing once you realize it's not a fastball. But if you don't move, that's helping you because then when you get the fastball, then you can take advantage of it. But it's the pitch that you don't swing at check swing, strike three, check swing, ground ball out. But, you know, there, there's so many things. I know you asked me a question about something that I don't want to answer. But the bottom line <laughs> is, you know, it's something that happened. I don't have a vote. And, uh, you know, they did what they did. And, uh, you know, we'll see as the voters who do, do have the votes. You know, these some of these guys are coming down to the end. You have to have 5% to stay on the ballot. And some of these guys are approaching their 10-year max. And then once you get to the Veterans Committee, you know, that, that Hall of Fame is is very, very special. Less than 1% of players who ever played Major League Baseball are in Cooperstown. So once you get to that point, if you don't make it in, and that's why the other guy we talked about earlier a little bit, that's why he admitted something in year 14, hoping to get in by 15, because he knew what would happen or might happen in, after that with the Veterans Committee. So, you know, there is, so there's a lot of control. The writers have the control, uh, and, and they really determine, and they're going to determine, very quickly with the next few years, whether those guys get in Cooperstown or not.
1: You mentioned doctors. It made me think of that commercial. How's that new doctor? He He's okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly.
2: No, you don't. You, know, you want a 10 for 10 there. You want a batting 1,000 yeah. when you, you're yeah. going out of the night. Hey, yeah. Speaking of
1: halls of fame, uh, Ray, a couple of honors for you in the last few years. You were voted to the Oakland yeah. Athletics 50th anniversary team in 2018. Very nice. And then you were inducted into the St. Louis Hall of Fame yeah. in February of last year. That's pretty cool.
2: Well, I appreciate it. I know I'm very honored to to be a part of the uh, the 50th anniversary team in Oakland. But I, I must admit, I grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And when they called me and I looked at the program and I saw my boyhood idol, Sam Usual, there, mm-hmm. and knowing that I'm in that same program as him, that that that, that to me was special. And to go back sure. to St. Louis, and uh, it, it's, it was an honor because I grew up in southern Illinois. I went to St. Louis to watch the Cardinals as often as possible. And I got a chance to watch Sam Musial as a young kid at Old Sportsman's Park, then which is now changed to Bush One, Bush Two, Bush Three, they're all there. But uh, to watch Stan the Man was was special, and especially then to go into the uh, to the Hall of Fame there.
0: Well, Ray, I have one final question for you. When we had you the last time, we talked about your uh, high school football career and being recruited by Paul <laughs> Bear Bryant, and uh, we got a lot of feedback on that because we, I guess I just never asked you. What position did you play that uh, Coach Bryant wanted you to play for?
2: Well, at the time they scouted me, I was playing tight end and defensive end because it's amazing. And, and I was uh, I was a fullback and um, and linebacker my first three years, but for some reason, legitimately, and I say legitimately, I gained about twenty pounds between my junior and senior years, so they moved me into the, uh, the onto the line of uh, defensive end and tight end. But I also kicked off and as a kickoff, of course, you had that running speed. And I remember this one kid, this one time he was there and it's it's like the movie um, um, Blindside where, you know, this little kid is there and he's supposed to block the big guy. Well, mm-hmm. I saw this little guy and I gave him a forearm shiver and put him about 10 yards and I just kept running. You know, that was it, it, it's amazing what happens to you when you not only gain the weight, but you take that extra year and you're a senior, you know. And um, I, listen, I made the right choice. I had football scholarships. I had more probably than I did baseball. But believe me, guys, I made the right decision because uh, I, I talked to football players at the Cleveland Browns and other teams, and I'd talk to them, and they talk talk about the headaches of being pounded on the line and seeing some of these guys. Not only are they big, but they're fast. I made the right decision. I played baseball. It's a contact sport. Baseball is, but I know overall it was a decision that I made properly. But I'll never forget that story about Paul Bear Bryant because never met the man until I played for the A's and uh, such a great
1: memory that he had. My final question, Ray, uh, I want to ask you about the name Stanley Burrell. I'm sure some (laughs) of our music-loving listeners know that name. Who is he and what is his connection to the Oakland A's? Well, Stanley Burrell
2: is MC Hammer. And MC Hammer, because he had the likeness of Hank Hammer, uh, Hammer did. Uh, and Aaron, I mean, he looked like him. Yeah, so he did. Charlie Finley, and I talked about a skeleton crew. Well, Charlie Finley hired Stanley Burrell, now known as MC Hammer as his general manager. And he would sit there and call Hey Charlie, you ought to do this. And we're all saying, what is it? What is this is shit out there dancing in the parking lot. And of course became a very good dancer and sponsored by Dwayne Murphy and Mike Davis. But uh, MC Hammer. That's him, and, and we had him on when we had – actually, I think it was two thousand yeah 2011. Uh, they had a bobblehead, of uh, Ricky Henderson, MC Hammer, and me. And I figured out that they did not know by the time those <laughs> bobbleheads were going to be manufactured who was going to be on the team. So they took three guys. <laughs> Ricky was working for the club. MC Hammer was MC Hammer, and I was the broadcaster. I said, let's do these guys. We know they're going to be there. But uh, I remember having MC up in the booth. And he could sing, he could dance, and uh, everybody got a chance to see him. But Stanley Burrell, that's that's a good, good background question there because <laughs> nobody knows that MC Hammer's real name is Stanley Burrell. Very, very uh, – I mean, the likeness of Hank Aaron is uh, unbelievable. Hammer and Hank.
0: Well, we do our research here, Ray.
2: I, you do a great job. That's, that's <laughs> great. I and then,
0: and that. then we found out that uh, the first ball girl that Charlie ever uh, <laughs> hired turned out to be Mrs. Fields of Mrs. Fields' Cookies. Who knew that? <laughs> Who knew
2: that? There were two, uh, but she was one of them. They had, Charlie had one down the right field line, line one down the left field line. And, Lo and behold, uh, from what I heard, Mrs. Field married an attorney and she started baking cookies and the rest is history. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I say Charlie was very innovative. And and Charlie, you see him on top of the dugout when they beat the Reds in 1972 with his wife and Dick Williams and Norma, his wife, and they were up on top of the dugout. See, Charlie showed up when we were in postseason or we played in Chicago because he had a home in LaPorte, Indiana, and we play a Saturday day game in Chicago. It was mandatory that we got on the buses, maybe one bus at the time, because I don't think there were two buses. We'd get on the bus, we'd, we'd go to Laporte, Indiana, which is not that far, and we'd have a barbecue, we'd go back, and that was it. And, you know, play basketball, do whatever. But uh, that's the time we saw Charlie, with the exception of postseason, and uh, that, that's it. But Charlie, Charlie did so many great things. Charlie didn't lose any money either, guys. <laughs> There's no money lost with Charlie, with Charlie, because when the Haas family bought the club, uh, prior to the uh, what the 1980, so 1980 offseason, they bought the club, and then I think they purchased for 11 million dollars. And people say, well, they sold it for 74 million dollars. They made 63 million. No, I think Walter Haas loved baseball so much he lost probably 30, 35 million every year from 1981 until 1995. So to say he made money, no, he didn't. He lost money. But he won a world championship and uh 1989 was special for the Haas family as well as
0: the athletics. All right. Well, hey Ray, I think we're out of time again. And uh I hate it because we could talk for another 45 <laughs> minutes. Hey, we'll do it were, again. You were yeah, let's do it you. again. You were gonna be in Philly next week, I believe it was. Yes,
2: yes, uh, uh yes, yes. Uh, uh, yes,
0: i because yeah. we see you.
2: I know, and let's hope that does happen sometime in the future. But I was looking forward to seeing your great manager, Joe Girardi, and And seeing the great city of Philadelphia again and uh, seeing it in normal circumstances, unfortunately, not what's happening right now. So, again, we hope and pray baseball comes back. But let's hope also and pray that some uh, civilization comes back to America because we don't need to see this on a daily
0: basis. Absolutely. Well, Ray, thanks again for joining us. Let's do it again. And uh, good luck to you. Stay healthy.
2: Same to you guys. Appreciate your time and uh, always look forward to the next time. All right.
0: All right. Hey, Chet, let's uh, take another quick break. And thanks our friends at the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page, so you can take a chance of winning something you may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's ppcc 118 razroom That's right, ppcc 118 razroom on Facebook. Hey, we
1: need some basketball music right about now, Billy. One,
0: two, three, four, five, sixes. Ten, nine, eight, seventy, sixes. One, two, three, four, five, sixes. Well, exploded. hey, t- you uh, you wanted to talk about the uh, Sixers because you got to watch the finals on replay, I guess, last week. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I had to modify the uh, press box just a little bit of my normal location to give you a little backdrop uh, behind me tonight. So we have Dr. J. We have Moses back there. Uh, we got some of your favorite Sixers right here behind my shoulders.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I've had this picture since 1983 on the walls of my various homes. It's the picture from the Philadelphia Daily News of those 1983 NBA champion Sixers. Still looks good. Still hanging on my wall. It's been in my basement now for the last 25 years in my uh, current home. So brought back a lot of memories to watch it on TV over the weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, what was your takeaway? I mean, I've, I've watched that thing several times over the years. I actually have it recorded. So. Uh, back on the old VHS. So I've watched it several times. Um, What, what'd you see different? Anything that you didn't expect?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I watched part of game two and then big chunks of the final game of that four game sweep by the Sixers. And yeah, like I said, it brought back a lot of memories. I forgot that the Sixers trailed the majority of the final game, finally taking the lead midway through the fourth quarter, then, you know, going back and forth, pulling it out in the end, but just just reminded me again of what a great team that was. You know, Doctor J, Andrew Tony, Little Mo, Big Mo, Moses Malone was a beast on the boards. It was fun to watch it again. Of course, there you know was Mark Ivoroni as the starting forward, Bobby Jones coming off the bench, uh, Clement Johnson and Clint Richardson also. Just a real good team, and it was just so fun to see them again. I just wish they could have, you know, stayed together and won more than that one title. It's a shame that the championship came so late in Dr. J's career and that, you know, Tony, who was so very good that year and the following two seasons, then had the major foot problems. It would have been nice to see them win another championship or two, but like the 67 76ers, you know, they were just so great that one season. I just wish they would have won another one or two because I'm greedy.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, interesting, uh, a lot has come out in the last recently last few weeks, actually about um, Andrew Tony. And apparently he doesn't have a great relationship with, with the organization and with Philadelphia. He's just a very quiet guy, but uh, a lot of the comments about him were that guy was a hall of famer that, you know, if he doesn't hurt his feet, you know, we, we saw what he did to the side of Celtics. He just owned them, but that he was that good every night. um, And was a hall of fame caliber player.
1: He was great. And yeah, he's had a strange relationship with the franchise pretty much ever since he left. He didn't feel he was treated fairly because of the injury. And it, it seemed like they were patching things up a few years ago and that he might even make an appearance, uh, you know, uh, in Philly. But I guess it just didn't happen. And it's a shame because he was so much fun to watch. And you hate to see a relationship like that with the team that he spent all those years with, you know, end that way, just a shame. Hey, I want to mention also, uh, it was fun to hear Dick Stockton call the game in his prime as a broadcaster. Bill Russell, of course, his color analyst. Although in watching it again, uh, and Billy get the audio ready, there, there was no great, you know, Sixers are champions called by Dick Stockton. Just after the final horn, we did get this from Dick Stockton.
2: They asked Julius serving, would you rather win it at home? And he said, no. Because that would mean 72 hours more of wondering, and I've wondered long enough. Julius has his ring. Moses Malone did what Philadelphia wanted him to do. The champions of the
1: NBA, 1982-83.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, Jet, because that was, we've talked about this when we had some of our George McGinnis talks uh, back when we were picking our team. You know, it was George McGinnis' team, and then it became Julius Irving's team. Uh, that was Moses' team. You know, I think they still might call it Julius' team, but Moses Malone is the it was the start, the straw that started to drink. They don't win without Big Mo.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was the guy that put it all together because they came so close three times, I guess, in recent years before that, and then they made the trade for Moses, and he put them over the top, led them, you know, to the mountaintop, Moses. And uh, he was only there four years and they traded him away in that ridiculous trade. Uh, who was it? Jeff Roland and Cliff
0: Robinson. They got, how'd yep. that work out?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Right. And, and in the meantime, they had drafted Barkley. Yeah. So they had Barkley Malone and Irving Irving and cheeks all on the, same, the court at the same time.
1: Yeah. And it was a shame that uh, you know, Moses was injured his fourth and final year of the first go round with the Sixers. But Charles Barkley credits Moses with helping him to become the great player because, you know, he said, you're fat, you you got to work on that. And so, yeah, Barkley credits Moses for helping him to become a great NBA player. Work ethic
0: work ethic like no other from Moses Malone. Hey,
1: speaking of work ethic, uh, we lost another NBA great, uh, just a couple of days ago, Wes Unseld, who like Wilt was a rookie of the year and MVP his very first season. The guy was only six foot seven, but man, he was so good. He only averaged 11 points for his career, but 14 rebounds a game for his career at just six foot seven. So he was certainly a great one for the, the Bullets back in the old days, and uh, he just left us at age
0: 74. Yeah, and don't forget, while we're talking about the Sixers, happy 77th birthday to the coach, Billy Cunningham, a player yep. on the championship team and a coach of the other championship team. Uh, yeah, I guess he's the only guy connected C- to both friend- or both winning teams, right? Yep. 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 77th birthday, Billy the Kid. Billy C. All right, Chet, uh, Ray. Posse, what can you say? He was awesome. Uh, what are you going to do better next week at Philly Press Box Radio?
1: Well, next week, Bill, we're going to be joined by a guy who's been on our show four times previously, but they were all pre-taped interviews with me. Now, if all goes well, since there's not currently a hockey season to cover, to you know, take him out to an arena or an airport or whatever, we are very likely, hopefully, going to have him live with the both of us next week. He's got a real good book out, too, by the way, if I can find it over here collection it's this one right here the big 50 philadelphia flyers and there's of course lots we can talk about about the current flyers we're talking about the inquirer.com's Sam carcidi gonna be joining us live we hope next week we may also have a second guest either a baseball or a basketball guy depending how it works out but very likely a second guest also
0: all right good stuff looking forward to Sam he's always been good when you when you've had him uh like say just because of scheduling looking forward super guy he's a super guy Absolutely. Well, hey, Chet, we don't want to get away without talking about this Roy Halliday documentary on ESPN Friday night. Uh, I thought it was pretty well done by ESPN. And, uh, boy, it was a sad story that uh, we certainly really didn't know anything about.
1: Yeah, it, it was well done. Um, you know, Grandy, of course, played a big part in it, getting the message out there about becoming addicted to drugs or whatever, a little alcohol in there as well. And uh, Roy obviously made some bad decisions, not coming forward with the issue, telling very few people about it. I think a few teammates, you know, were suspicious. Uh, They talked to uh, Kendrick, of course, a lot in the documentary. But my only criticism of the documentary was they didn't really give you anything from Philly's Brass or, you know, I guess it was Ryan Sandberg was the manager at the time. Or some of the other higher profile players. We didn't really hear from any of them uh, about what was going on with Halliday. And I would have liked to have heard, you know, how much they knew about it and what, if anything, they did to try to help him. We know they did send him to rehab during his final season as an active player with the Phil's, but beyond that, we don't know a whole lot about what they did. But yeah, as you said, just a sad story about such a great player, such a work ethic, as you mentioned. But he just didn't know how to handle this, I guess, and
0: uh, just a shame. Well, you know, I, I think that the, the thing with the Phillies—no comment from the Phillies. I, I'm wondering, you know, they they brushed across this, uh, but they made the point that he got his first prescription of painkillers from someone that was not the Phillies organization. Yeah, a huge, huge mistake by him, and it might have been exactly why they have a no comment you know, or, or would have no comment. But I also thought it was interesting that, that Brandy knew Roy knew exactly when it happened, what inning, what game, you know, what pitch when it popped and, you know, that was the end. And I guess, you know, I kind of look at all this, you see these guys and they're, they're so involved in what they're doing. Um, You know, you hope they adapt to life after baseball and, and maybe he could have done that. Had he not had the pain issues? You know coaching his kids, flying his planes, and doing what the rest of us do normally not fly planes, but uh, you know, when you add the painkillers in there, it makes it a bad deal.
1: Hey, speaking of documentaries, I know you've been watching it. I, I DVR'd the second episode, you're watching the Lance Armstrong thing on uh, ESPN. I heard it's pretty good, he's he's kind of a creep kind of an ass from what somebody told me who watched it what are your impressions of the Lance Armstrong documentary
0: oh I I would say that uh, I I would agree (laughs) with that but I'll tell you what Lance probably is sleeping well at night because he he put it all out there you know I was a jerk I did some things I shouldn't have done but his job was to win and he that's what he did and and (laughs) they were all cheating you know, yeah, it sounds they, that way. They, they they all were before him, after him, and during him. um You know, and I think of uh, uh, the one thing that I that really bugs me about the whole thing is the whole firing from Livestrong. Uh, You know how I feel about that whole you know cancer su- survivor and support thing sure. that he did and raised hundreds of millions of dollars, and they they fired him. And uh you know, I, the the world isn't full of perfect people, and. Uh, you know, he could be a jerk as a cyclist, but what he was doing to help people, um, to me, that holds a lot of space. And, uh, that, that was the, that was the bad deal. A lot of the other deals he deserved. Okay. I'll, I'll go with that. All right. All right. So we are, shoot, we're almost getting to the end, Chet. We've modified our up and updated our Philly Press Box Radio website. Uh, you can now watch this podcast with Vimeos. We've got a YouTube channel. Let's throw it out there and let the people know where, what they can find at www.phillypressboxradio.com.
1: Yeah, all that is true. The website, as you mentioned, phillypressboxradio.com. The YouTube channel, very easy to find. Just go to YouTube, type Philly Pressbox Radio in the search tab, and you will see us. We now have, I believe, exactly 20 videos there for you to check out. Our last five or six full shows and lots of other fun stuff. And, you know, I forgot to mention when Ray was on with us, but... Uh, the video that we put up there of Ray Fossey talking about Joe Girardi and Dick Allen is tied for our most viewed video with Willie Nile, believe it or not. So Ray Fossey and Willie Nile, both big hits on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to us. It's easy. It doesn't cost anything. Subscribe and you'll get a notification when we add the next video. If you want to watch it, fine. If you don't, fine. But we do want to get more subscribers to make us, Look more impressive. Also, if you want to buy one of these nice, lovely Philly Press Box Radio t shirts, you can uh, do that too. Go to our website or message you or me, and uh, all the information is there on our website. They're they're cheap, 10, 12 bucks. Get yourself one. That's all. There you go. Father's Day is coming up. Exactly. Hey, hey, parting shot for you tonight? You know, I, I didn't prepare a parting shot, and you didn't really want to talk any more about all the crap that's going on in the world right now. but. It was a very troubling week, as we said at the top, Uh, just craziness over the past week. Glad to see there were more charges levied today against those officers in Minneapolis. We've heard so many other stories about, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff. We've heard from a lot of Philly athletes, you know, Malcolm Jenkins. We've heard from Ryan Howard. We heard from Deshaun Jackson about their instances of racial profiling and it is very sad and it it is unfortunate and it's got to stop and all the philly pro teams have put out statements i'm not gonna you know go into too much of that but the flyers i'll sum up what they said it's in theirs was the shortest so it's easiest to copy and paste here we don't have the answers but this much we know we believe in racial equality without exception and our hearts are broken for philadelphia and the nation we join the chorus calling for justice the elimination of systemic racism unity and peace that's all let's leave it there and be safe everybody
0: yeah and hey one other thing chet uh because we do have one minute uh Basketball want to get started at Disney. That's going to be interesting. Uh, looks like they're actually putting a plan together uh, late July, maybe mid yeah. to late July. Uh, no fans. Sixers will be in that hockey looks like it's pushed their date baseball looks like it might not happen. And then we got football right around the corner that that basketball deal. I think the season doesn't end until like the 20th of October. I think October 12th. Uh, Yeah. They're, they're looking to, they're going
1: to make an official announcement, I think tomorrow, and hopefully restart the season, July 31st with a couple of end of season games and then the playoffs, they'll go from 22 teams down to 16 and then, you know, to eight, to four to two and hopefully crown a champion right around October 12th. And uh, who knows, maybe the Sixers will make a run. We shall see, but Looks like it's gonna happen. Finally, we're gonna get some NBA basketball again.
0: Yep, we'll see. I'm not. I'm not all that thrilled about it. Playing it at e, at ESPN, but yeah, uh, I just, uh, yeah, Disney. I I don't know. I just I'll watch though. I'm gonna watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it would be like watching a high school game. All <laughs> right. So with that, let's wrap it up. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Ray Fossey. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House. We're glad to get them back in business. Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, Room, Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance at Westchester, Billy Furman behind the scenes as our producer, all for their continued support of the show. So for Jim Chet Jesko, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoy the show. and We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, June 10th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook. We had some troubles tonight, apparently, but we're working our way through them. Facebook's not always the most cooperative, but- <laughs> Or listen through our website phillypressboxradio.com, blogtalkradio.com com, radio, slash phillypressboxradio, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and all the other podcast applications. Right, I hope it's Philadelphia sports fans, and stay safe out there.